It's uh, good to be here with you again. We miss the opportunity to come up here when we don't have it. We're glad when we do. And thank you for your hospitality and inviting us to come up. Please join me this morning, if you will, in the book of Acts, chapter 9. I'm going to ask a real obvious question I know the answer to right off the bat. Have you ever been confused by the will of the Lord? What he wanted you to do was not what you expected. And you were, you were sure that there must be some kind of a mistake. Surely God is not leading me to do this. Your mind flooded with questions about the Lord's direction. And you were thinking, what would people think of me if I obey what the Lord is leading me to do? Would they understand? Would obeying the Lord cause me to lose face or lose credibility with other people? And how could you really be sure that this was a course of action that the Lord was actually calling you to? Well, rest assured that you're in good company because a man by the name of Ananias received confusing instructions from the Lord in the passage we're going to look at today. And his response is both interesting and informative. There may be a surprise or two for us along the way, but I think it will be helpful to us in our walk with him. Uh, Before we go any further, I want to make note that there are three men named Ananias in the Bible, and they're all found in the book of Acts. One was the husband of Sapphira, who together with her agreed to lie about their offering. Another was the high priest at Jerusalem, who ordered somebody to strike the Apostle Paul on the face when he said he served God with a good conscience. And the third one is the one we're going to be talking about today, the Jewish believer who restored Saul's sight. And you probably know that the names Saul and Paul refer to the same person before and after his conversion to Jesus Christ which seems to have taken place in Acts 13.9, where it says Saul also called Paul. So I want to set the background here by reading verses 1 through 9 of Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. In a sense, he answered his own question. He said, Lord. He knew that much. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. (coughs) The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. We're going to notice how Ananias responded when he was confused by the will of the Lord. His reaction is both predictable and understandable. 
And most of us could see ourselves reacting in a similar way. Maybe you have reacted that way in the past. You are reacting that way now or will in the future about God's will in your life. But once Ananias was sure about the Lord's will, he obeyed without hesitation. And we would do well to follow the responses of Ananias when we're confused about the Lord's will. So the first thing I want us to notice is that Ananias questioned the Lord's directions. He questioned the Lord. The title of my message is Ananias, a man who questioned God. That's a pretty awesome thought that we as human beings would question God and ask him to clarify himself, if you will. And God chose Ananias to launch the Apostle Paul's ministry. Look at verses 10 through 12 of Acts chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So Ananias was a devout believer in Jesus Christ. And one of the things about understanding the Lord's will that's necessary is that we need to know Jesus Christ, know the voice of God through the Holy Spirit, through the Word, and be obedient to Him in our lives. That makes us a fit candidate to understand the will of the Lord. Paul later said in Acts chapter 22 and verse 12 that Ananias was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews. He lived in Damascus. So it's an honor to be chosen by God for service. And imagine Ananias in heaven. He was the one who launched the ministry of the apostle Paul. So you're having conversations in heaven and you come upon Ananias and you go, oh, Ananias, I, I don't remember who that was. Who, who were you in the Bible? Uh, well, did you ever hear about the Apostle Paul? Yeah. Well, uh, basically, the Lord used me to launch his ministry. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that puts you in pretty high standing, wouldn't you say? The conversations in heaven will be interesting for Ananias. I don't think he'll pr- be proud or boastful about it. But the Lord used him to to do a very significant thing, and a thing which he did not understand at first, which he questioned at first, and and with, with good reason. But here on earth, the reputation of Ananias was on the line. God was asking him to welcome an arch enemy of the church, of followers of Jesus Christ. And Ananias was dealing with conflicting information. Look at verses 13 and 14 now. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Isn't it interesting how in in this comment that Ananias makes to the Lord, and comments you and I have possibly made to the Lord in prayer that were explaining to the Lord that he must be mistaken. Lord, 
do you understand what you're saying you want me to do? <laughs> it's really interesting that we find a need to straighten the Lord out at times in our prayers. Lord, this, this can't be what you want. You, you, I'm, I'm trying to get you to come to your senses, Lord. Obviously, you're not, you're, not, you're not with it here. And the Lord is telling Ananias to help the enemy. Saul, who was bringing people captive to be murdered because of their walk with Jesus. Martyred. Saul was the enemy of Jesus Christ and all of his followers. Saul was on his way to Damascus. So Ananias and other believers, there were Saul's targets. And he wasn't just going to rebuke them verbally. He was going to have them put to death. The unconverted Jews saw Christianity as a threat to their religion. It might sound familiar to you that there are people in society today who see Christians as a threat to their religion, whatever their religion is. And they're pretty vocal about it. And we're on a trajectory where persecution is likely to increase. Saul put believers in prison and voted that they be put to death. So, question for you. How do you respond when the Lord tells you to help your enemy? Ananias brought the problem to the Lord's attention, which is exactly what he should have done. He's trying to clarify to make sure he understands what the Lord is really saying. And James says that when we are confused, we should ask God for wisdom. He assures us, he promises us ahead of time in advance that God will be happy to help us. In James 1.5, in the first part of verse 6, If anyone you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. So God is saying, you're not sure about what my will is for you? You're sure that what I'm asking you to do can't possibly be right? Ask me. I'll answer you. Now, I want to point out here that asking God to help us understand his will is different than putting God on trial. We don't sit in judgment of God. He sits in judgment of us. God will reveal himself on his terms, not on ours. We don't set up the conditions. God does. And I have a couple examples of personal experiences in my own life where this was the case. I remember as a young boy on a warm summer day, I was laying in the grass somewhere. I was looking up in the sky. And I believed in God, but I wanted God to show me for sure that he existed. And I said, Lord, if you're there, if you hear me, if you exist, turn one of those white puffy cumulus clouds pink right now. He didn't do it. So I rolled over on my stomach and I looked down at the green grass and I said, well, that was a pretty big thing to ask. 
turn one of these blades of grass bright red instead of pink, instead of green, so I'll know you're there. He didn't do it. Later on, after I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I felt a call into the ministry. But I had a good job, and I liked my job, and I didn't want to leave. And so one night, Sunday night after church, we came home, and Linda went to bed, and I paced back and forth in our living room for hours, way into the night, into the wee hours of the morning, pacing back and forth. And expecting, every time I turn around, I'm expecting to see you appear to me, Lord, and call me into the ministry and confirm that. Because this is a big deal to me. I don't want to quit my job and leave if you're not calling me. He didn't do it. Kept praying. This time he's going to be there. Wasn't there. This time he's going to be there. And this went on for hours. God did not appear to me. God did not clarify. For years I wondered... After I pastored for a year and a half, went to Bible college, graduated from there, pastored for a year and a half, and then quit the ministry and went back to my job in the shipyard, I thought, when I stand before the Lord, is he going to say, I called you into the ministry and you quit? And just a few years ago, I came to the decision, I've been teaching my whole life. I'm on my 35th year of teaching the same Bible class in our church. I preach in churches occasionally. It dawned on me, God didn't call me into full-time ministry necessarily, but he did call me into the ministry of the word, and I'm doing it. So I came to that realization, but you know what? I came to it on God's terms, on God's timing, not on mine. I don't dictate to God when he's going to answer me or how he's going to answer me. He dictates to me. We must not set up the conditions. God does. We must not require God to do something on our terms. He will do that on His terms in His time. Very seldom when I pray to the Lord and ask for clarification, do I get it right then. Maybe you're more in touch with God and you do. Good for you. But usually what for me, it happens later on. In some way, He makes it known to me. Sometimes I'll say, Lord, I don't know your will, but I'm, I'm, this is a direction I think I should go, and I'm going to default to this direction. If you want to change it, change my mind. Sometimes he does, and sometimes he doesn't. I take it as his answer. So the best way to eliminate an enemy is to make a friend out of him, and that's exactly what the Lord did with Saul. And we, like Ananias, must be willing to receive people the Lord receives. We must love people the Lord loves. And that is pretty inclusive, isn't it? So the second thing we'll notice is that Ananias received clarification of the Lord's directions. He questioned the Lord. He received clarifications of the Lord's directions. And God chose Paul to be the apostle of, to the Gentiles. Verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So Paul became a missionary taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And uh, that pretty, is a pretty inclusive group because if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Just two, two categories of people in the world. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. 
So I think most of us here are probably Gentiles. So we have benefited directly from the ministry of the Apostle Paul, who was designated to be the Apostle to the Gentiles. And that was a big transition during that time, because Jesus, on his earthly side, was Jewish. The religion into which he was born was Jewish religion. The Old Testament religion was Jewish, and now there's a big transition going on to Christianity. And so God was somewhat unsuccessful because of the limitations of the Jewish nation in reaching other nations in the Old Testament times because they were disobedient, selfish, turned inward. It's all about us. They looked down on Gentiles, didn't want to take the message of God to them. But in the New Testament, the Lord reached out in a a great way to the Gentiles, and the Apostle Paul launched this ministry. But Paul's calling would include much suffering. If you look at the next verse, verse 16, I will show him, God is saying to Ananias about Saul, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Paul later made this statement, I only know that in every city, The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He wrote to the Galatians, I bear on my body the marks of Jesus, scars that he suffered for serving Jesus. And it might be a good time to ask ourselves the question, am I suffering for Jesus? What price am I willing to pay for God's will to be done in my life? In our Daily Bread article, this point is made. When seemingly needless suffering invades our lives, we often ask ourselves, who needs all this grief? But consider for a moment the origin of pearls. Each pearl is formed by an oyster's internal response to a wound caused by an irritant such as a grain of sand. Resources of repair rush to the injured area. The final result is a lustrous pearl. Something beneficial or beautiful is created that would have been impossible without the wound. So we could make as a motto of our Christian life, no wounds, no pearls. So Ananias was focused on Saul's past. The Lord was focused on Saul's future. Ananias looked at Saul and saw what he had been. The Lord looked at Saul and saw what he could be. And so the Lord called Saul to serve even with his past. Paul talked about this in his letter to Timothy, first letter to Timothy, chapter 1 and chapter 2, 1 and verse 12 through 14. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." Paul suffered intensely in order to carry out the ministry God called him to. And he said in so many words, I can't believe the Lord used me. I can't believe the Lord saved me. 
Do you know what my life was like before I knew the Lord? And I was saved at age 24, and I can say to some extent with Paul, I'm still amazed that the Lord saw fit to save me. I was a scoundrel. I mean, I, I had enough good character traits to win Linda over, but, you know, and she said she saw things in me. She saw what I could be, I think, more. But, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to glorify sin or get detailed about sin, but almost anything you can think about that's wrong to do, I was involved in before I was saved. And I was religious enough to think, think I didn't need to be saved. I didn't even like the term. I was really an enemy of God, thinking that I was as good as anybody else, trying my best. I didn't know where I was going to go after I died, but nobody else does either, right? I mean, God saw fit to tackle me. God saw fit to interrupt my life and come into my life. That's amazing to me. I'll tell you what. I don't stand before you today as a saved person because I was smarter than anybody else, wiser than anybody else, holier than anybody else, or more deserving than anybody else. I stand here because God has granted me mercy when I was ignorant and an enemy of God. It just makes me want to praise God for what he's done in my life. And Paul felt that way too. Somebody said, every saint has a past, and every sinner has a future. So the third thing we're going to notice is that Ananias obeyed the Lord's directions. And Ananias did his part, and the Lord did his part. First we'll see that Ananias did his part in verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias, his obedience was immediate and complete. As soon as he verified and validated, this is really what God wants me to do, he did it. Some people question the Lord's will, and that's where it ends. It's kind of a matter of curiosity. Lord, tell me your will, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to do it or not. Not so with Ananias. Once he was sure what the Lord's will was, he obeyed. And notice his humility. He did not explain who or what he was. There were no titles or explanations. He was content to be faithful a faithful, anonymous messenger of his master. He had a job to do and he did it. And actually, this sermon is a biographical sermon. I, as far as I know, everything we know about Ananias is right here. Nothing before that, nothing after that. He came on the scene to do God's will, to give Paul his sight back, to anoint him as the apostle to the Gentiles, to, 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 to inaugurate his ministry. And then he passes off the scene in silence. He did what the Lord wanted him to do. You and I have a short life to live. We're on the scene now. Whatever we do for the Lord, we're going to do during this lifetime. And before you know it, it'll be over. So we should be willing to reach out to people 
even when our peers would not understand. And sometimes God calls us to do something that other people won't understand. Be careful. Take counsel in godly people. If everybody's saying that's not a good idea, you really made to make sure the Lord's really calling you to that. But if you're sure of it, go for it. Ananias gladly put his reputation on the line when he endorsed Saul. Sometimes we're tempted to feel like we can't keep doing our part. We become weary and tempted to quit. One day at a time is more than just a popular slogan, though. It's a road to success. And Vernon Grounds wrote about that. He wrote, Life can be monotonous. The road that lies before us seems to stretch mile after mile across a flat, barren desert with no oasis in sight. How then are we to handle wearisome responsibilities when there's no foreseeable relief from our burdens? Oliver de Vint, V-I-N-C-K, Vint, I'm not sure how to say that, severely disabled from birth, lay helplessly on his bed for all of his 32 years, unable to care for himself. Day after day and year after year, his parents put every spoonful of food into his mouth, changed his diapers, and still maintained a happy home. One day, Oliver's brother, Christopher, explained, asked his father how they managed He explained that they didn't worry about the long succession of tomorrows that might lie before them. They lived a day at a time asking, can I feed Oliver today? And the answer always was, yes, today I can do it. Today I can do it. So when Ananias did his part, the Lord did his part, verses 18 to 19. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. So God used the obedience of Ananias to accomplish great things. When we do what we can do, God will do what we cannot do. And Saul received two kinds of eyesight that day physical and spiritual, filled with the Holy Spirit for the ministry that lay before him. So are you struggling with the Lord's will in your life? Does it seem confusing? Or maybe it's all too clear and you fear what will happen if you obey. Sometimes that's the case, isn't it? It's okay to ask for God's help, Ananias did, and the Lord delights in helping his people. He will share his vision with us if we will ask him. Sometimes we might feel more like a dartboard than a pipeline. Those are Joni Yoder's words, and she explains in this way. One day during my devotional time, this thought came to my mind. Don't let life happen to you. Let life happen through you. The first phrase described me to a T. For I tended to see life as something coming at me. I felt like a worn-out dartboard. 
I was using all my energies to shield myself from the darts of life's trials. But the second phrase, let life happen through you, presented a different approach. Instead of dodging life's fiery darts, I was to let God's life and love be channeled through me, blessing me on its way to blessing others. I chose that day to become God's pipeline instead of life's dartboard. Then I could begin living more effectively for Him. I like her honesty here. Some days I revert to being a dartboard, (laughs) but I soon run out of love and power to bless others. Then through confession, faith, and obedience, I reconnect myself to my heavenly supply center and resume pipeline living. So I'm going to close with her words. Don't let life happen to you. Let life happen through you. Don't be life's dartboard. Be God's pipeline. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word, the truth of your word, the wonderful examples we have in Scripture, like the example of Ananias, who did not understand, came to you for clarification. When he understood what your directions were, he was willing to take the risk of obedience, which might have some fallout and some problems, but he left that up to you and obeyed. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to do the same thing. We pray for Pastor Kevin and the ministry here at Quilcene Bible Church, and we're thankful that we have a privilege to have a small part in it from time to time. We ask that you'll bless this local assembly and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.